Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we've got, I guess, really two things to talk about. Um, before we get to those, I do want to mention that uh, Levante Chenault, our old friend, committed to Alabama State today. It's an FCS school, I think. I, I thought that there was a chance, a chance that he could get another shot in uh, the FBS but with with the off the field stuff and, and I mean honestly a lack of production too, the FCS probably made the most sense. So uh, there's your update there, and uh, we've got two more real things to talk about. Um, first of all, Joe Davis entered the transfer portal, and I guess so did Kane and Ray today. So there's really two new players, which brings the total to fourteen. Um, 14 Buffaloes in the portal. Uh, that's a starting lineman and not a starting running back, but I think he probably fit in as your number three or four next year, depending how things shake out with Victor Venn. Um, so we're going to talk about what those two transfers mean um, and the little bit of a lack of depth that the Buffs have in the backfield all of a sudden. Who who thought that that would uh, be coming? But uh, also... Big game for the basketball team against Arizona on Thursday. Uh, it's going to be uh, a, an important game, a very important game. So we will run through uh, a quick little rundown of what's going on there. That's the plan. Uh, let's just jump in with these uh, football transfers. Um, first of all, let's knock Kane and Ray out. Um, not <laughs> not literally knock him out. Not that I'd be capable of that anyway. So with Kanan, um, he, he started the season at guard. Um, that's where he played the year before as well. Um, right guard, he was there for the first few games of the season. Uh, wound up getting subbed out a little bit in that third game, but then uh, got injured in the fourth. Uh, missed a couple weeks, came back, but only played... And they were rotating at that point. He appeared in six games. Um, honestly, I don't have a lot of thoughts here. Here's what I have to say. He graded out basically in the middle of the pack by pro football focus um, in, in terms of like the Buffs linemen. So you're losing one of the average linemen from last year in terms of that team. So... <sighs> I think that you can look at it two different ways. I mean, first of all, that was a terrible offensive line that really, really struggled, and you want to have a bunch of change this year. 
Um, and, and all of those things are very true. At the same time, the odds that you're pulling five starters out of the transfer portal, they're very slim. Um, it's, it's very unlikely that that's going to be the way that this plays out. Um, and so you're going to need some of the guys who are currently on the roster to contribute. Now, whether that's starters from last year, whether that's young guys who are now ready, I mean, you're probably most likely going to need three starters. I think, honestly, if you're being kind of optimistic about how the portal plays out, then you're going to need three starters from this current roster that we've seen. Was Kanan in your your top three? I mean, the stats would say he's probably just outside, um, but with another year, who knows? Um, and the odds that you're going to be able to keep all five guys healthy over the course of the season are slim, and so that brings a fourth guy up, or maybe a fifth. So, is it a massive loss? Not necessarily. Like, yeah, you lost a starting lineman, but at the same time, you want some turnover there. Um, and I don't know whether the coaching staff wanted this to be where the turnover is or whether they had hoped there'd be somebody else and they could hold on to Kanan. Um, and the other kind of elephant in the room here is that there is a new offensive line coach. And he figures to be much better than Mitch Rodrigue was. You know, it'd be tough to imagine that they've now got worse coaching with that group. And whether the coaching was 90% of the problem with the line last year, whether it was 20%, we just don't know until this all plays out. But, you know, there's there's reason to think that Kanan's best football was in front of him, and I think that, that would probably be a pretty safe assumption. Um, I also think, like I've said before, it's tough to pull good linemen out of the portal. You know, when things are going well for a lineman, they don't really want change because the schemes are different because the guys next to him are different because of all these different things. And obviously like if you're looking for alignment in the portal, what you want is someone who things are going well for. So those two things just don't line up. It isn't like receivers. They say, ah, yeah, I can do it here. I can do it anywhere, whatever. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you do need to open up some scholarships still and, would you have liked for it to be somebody lower down the list? Yeah, I mean, probably, but you are where you are, and I don't necessarily think it's the end of the world. I also think that there's a chance that he would have been one of your starting five next year. Um, it would be interesting to see where he goes. Like I said, the, the, the market for linemen in the portal, I think everybody wants more linemen, and I think that that probably means that, you know, I'd say he probably does wind up power five. Um he might go to a high-end G5 school. Um, again, it's tough to evaluate because of the different factors at play, like that line really sucking and the fact that everybody's looking for linemen. So if I had to guess, I'd say that just the market dictates that he winds up going somewhere pretty good. Um, it's one to keep an eye on for sure. You know, this is this is probably like the most tough to to grade transfer so far right I think I think you look at a bunch of the guys you know the the Jaden Simons of the world and say ah yeah that's that's kind of fine like open up the scholarship there's other options um you you look at like the Ashad Clayton or Levante Chenault and say well things didn't really work out I don't think it was going to get solved here probably best that they part ways you know you look at the Christian Gonzalez and Brendan Rice and say 
oh, wow, this really sucks. Those are your two best players. You know, Mark Perry, it's, he's a starter, um, but his best football is in front of him, and they don't have a whole lot of proven, I mean, they have almost no proven players at that position. So with Kanan, it's kind of a tough one. Just like, I mean, the offensive line is complicated. It takes five guys working together. Um, so there are some thoughts there. That's I'm not worked up about it. I don't necessarily think it's good for the program either. Um, but it does mean there's 14 players uh, that have entered the portal. Not all of them are still in there. Um, a lot of a lot of them are. Half of them probably are. At least half. Um, I do think we're going to hear from Makai Blackman and Brendan Rice pretty soon. Potentially even tonight. Um, specifically with Makai. And if that's the case, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, today's Wednesday, by the way. I'm not sure if I've said that. But, uh, yeah, there's Kanan. With Josiah Davis, the running back, this is kind of an, an interesting transfer because he was kind of the third guy, right, in uh, 2020. Uh, so so that's when you had Jarek Broussard breaking out. That's when Jaron Mangum was the primary backup. And then you had Ashad Clayton in there, too, kind of getting the scraps. Well, flash forward to this year, uh, it's still not much work for Ashad Clayton. And, you know, at the top, you still have Jarek Broussard. You get Alex Fontenot back from injury. He basically replaces Mangum, who transferred out to uh, Southern Florida. And then you see Deion Smith kind of emerge as the number three. I think that number three just as easily could have been Joe Davis, except that Joe Davis played that first game and said, you know what, with all the competition here, because remember, we probably expected more from Rashad Clayton last season at that point. Um, he, Joe said, I'm going to take a season off. I'm going to work on my body. I'm going to call this a redshirt year and uh, get back to it when I can be more competitive. So I, you wonder if he realized at the time that, that he might be heading out of CU um, that's not necessarily what was going on, but because of the way things played out, you probably wonder a little bit. Yeah, I, th there's there's kind of the story, and just in terms of projection, we can hit this too. I'd guess these probably G5. I think you look at what happened with Jaron Mangum and say, well, Mangum was a little bit more highly recruited. I think that uh, Mangum also had more production on the field, obviously. I think Davis wound up with... Uh, 29 carries for 69 yards at CU with a short catch, like a four-yard catch combined with that. Um, no touchdowns. So that's not, those aren't big numbers, right? So if, if Mangum was doing what he was doing and winds up as the bell cow true number one at South Florida, then you probably look at a Joe Davis and say probably... A little bit lower profile school. Like if we're looking in the Mountain West, then maybe you say like Nevada, New Mexico, um, something along those lines. And you probably say that he's not just going to be like a bell cow. I mean, he's, he's probably a part of like a three-headed monster in the backfield at, you know, uh, a New Mexico, for example. Uh, maybe maybe he gets a bigger role like a UNLV. But, but that's kind of where you're looking at for him, I think. Um Obviously, if you're Colorado, you you say, well, if that's what the market for that player is, 
then yeah, we probably are better off opening up that scholarship than keeping around um, uh, a player who is like that. You know, you look to the portal and say, we should be able to get a higher level player out of that in terms of what college football dictates they are at this point. Um, But at the same time, you do also just need to have running backs on your roster. Um, and right now, the the numbers are getting pretty slim. You've got Alex Fontenot for one more year. You've got Jarek Broussard for two more years. Um, again, assuming he doesn't have another big year this year and decide to, to go pro. And he's just so small that it'd have to be really big numbers, similar to the 2020 season. But that is a possibility, I guess, with Jarek. Um, you've got... The young guys, you know, Deion Smith will be a junior. He'll have two years left. Jay Lee Stacks will have, I th- no, this year I don't think counts as a red shirt for him. So you've got some returners, and, and what is that? I guess that's kind of one per class. But then you also bring in uh, Victor Venn, uh, who is, is the, he'll be a true freshman coming out of Georgia. Smaller back, kind of built like Jarek, really fast. Um, and who knows, maybe he pops off or, or something. Uh, so as it stands now, though, you're looking at five running backs in that backfield. One of those is Jaylee Stacks, who I think might be more of a fullback, but we aren't really sure. They might be playing him at running back fullback. It's just too early to say. Um, but, you know, the Carl has brought up things like how that those versatile fullbacks can be so valuable and how he thinks he can do, or Jaylee can do all those different things. So who knows? Um, but, you know, you you look at this season and say, if you're healthy, you're fine. Because that's Alex Fontenot and that's Jarek Broussard. They're doing the bulk of the work. And then there's some scraps left for the others. If you lose one of those two, whether that's during a game or for half a season or whatever you wind up with a rotation that looks like, you know, whichever one of those two it is, say Jarek is, is still there, and you have Dion as your number two, you're probably giving Dion five, ten carries. If it's an, if, if it's just in, in a one game, there's one game where you're missing your top guy, then you probably just lean really hard on your, your remaining kind of like 1A or 1B. And that means that Dion gets five carries, or six or seven carries maybe. Um, but if it winds out being four games that you're missing Alex Fontenot, for example, well then you you don't necessarily want Jarek to carry that sort of load for that long. And so that's where you see probably Dion get more like 10 to 12 carries. Um, and... It's not necessarily the end of the world. Dion's shown some flashes, but you know it's a lot different world than than where you were last year. Saying you've got all these different options, and who knows? Maybe Victor Van does go off, um, but also maybe maybe Dion gets hurt too, and then all of a sudden you're looking at Jarek and um, uh, the freshman Victor Van or Jaylee Stacks back there. You're 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 very close to being very thin. And hopefully everybody stays healthy, but running back is a position where we've seen, you know, 2020, Dion missed the entire season with an ACL. The year before that, Jarek misses the entire season with an ACL. Um, 
there's there's been those sorts of injuries that uh, really changed the dynamic. What I, I guess Alex Fontenot missed 2020 with the ACL as well. That's what cleared the way for Jarek. So there's there's been a history of injuries at that position. That's just the way it works when you have running backs, I guess. But you're you're looking really thin. I think that you probably do try to add somebody. And, you know, we do know that, that Colorado has offered Kai Thomas. Uh, now, Kai Thomas is the running back at Minnesota. He was a true freshman last year. Uh, put up like 860-something total yards, 880-something total yards. There was like 50 of them were passing. The other 840 or something were rushing. Um, and I think six touchdowns, five yards per carry. He was the leading back at Minnesota. The Buffs just brought in Mike Sanford, the offensive coordinator for Minnesota last year, who's now the offensive coordinator at Colorado. There's other pieces there saying the tight ends coach comes over. Um, the offense is probably going to be fairly similar. We know that Colorado offered Kai Thomas really, really quickly after he entered the transfer portal. Still no announcement on where he's going, but that is somebody who you you keep an eye on because there is a real chance that, that he could wind up in Colorado. And then all of a sudden, if you're if you're looking at Broussard, Fontenot, Kai Thomas, well, that's that's a healthy place to be. You've got you've got three guys you want to get the ball to. And that's where the buffs were last year, you know, with with Broussard, Fontenot, and Ashad Clayton. Now Ashad didn't really pan out, but that is kind of what you want your backfield to look like at this point. Um, so I do think whether whether it's Kai Thomas, whether it's somebody else, Buffs probably do need to add add a body there just as insurance. I don't think that you look at kind of a late committing running back just because you want. Maybe you say between that guy and Victor Venn, one of them would be ready to go. But odds are you want somebody who has at least proven it a little bit. You you're looking for insurance at this point, not upside. You have upside. Um, so there. That's that's what's up with the running backs. And uh, real quick, want to remind you guys about Breckenridge Brewery. Um, specifically, want to tell you guys about the Broncos Country Hoppy Pale Ale because even though the Broncos season is over, which I don't honestly, it's kind of just a relief at this point. It's like, yeah, I wish they're in the playoffs, but also for that season to just end. That's fine. It's time to move along. It's draft season. Number nine pick. Do something fun. But even though the Broncos aren't going to be playing in the playoffs, you can still drink the Broncos country hoppy pale ale while you watch the other teams play because the good part is the Broncos can't lose. They can't hurt you. It's uh, it's all over now, and we can just enjoy a great beer. So definitely get your hands on some of those. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun um, watching these playoff games, and I couldn't imagine doing it without Breckenridge Brewery. A reminder that they're giving 1% of all their profits to the National Parks Conservation Association. Um, they've had a good relationship with those guys in the past, and they're doing it because of all the wildfires that keep happening. Uh, just just helps them to have a little bit bigger budget because problems keep arising for the national parks, and uh, money doesn't necessarily fix everything, but it definitely helps, right? Um, so yeah, we love supporting them. They support us. They support sports around here. So definitely drink some of those beers where you're watching some football. Also want to talk about ball. So ball does a whole bunch of different things. They pay for the naming rights at ball arena. 
which is where the Nuggets and Avalanche play. They have all sorts of sponsorships over there. They have sponsorships with uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, with all sorts of different places. And uh, that's why they're advertising on this podcast. They're also advertising because they're looking for production technicians. If you're looking for more information, first of all, on what that means, what the full description is, then you can go to jobs.ball.com, search for Golden. It'll be right there um, because it is in Golden. I should have said that. Um, But production technicians, what do they do? Basically, they're the front line of the aluminum beverage can process at Ball's Plants. Um, they, uh, They earn $27.39 an hour, which is a great rate. Um, and there's potential for an increase at 6, 12, and 18 months on the job. Also offers exposure to a lot of other manufacturing opportunities in the plant. Um, they, they touch all the different stages of production, making aluminum cans and ends. Um, so what they do is they handle the, the production equipment. It's a really important part of the team. And uh, yeah, you should uh, definitely, if you're looking for a job, look into this place. They have comprehensive insurance. Um, that starts the day or hired 401k for retirement. Um, there's a stock purchase ownership program, um, potential for annual bonuses. They've got major benefits um, because they are such a big company. Over 100 billion cans made last year. That Again, every time I say it, it's like, no, that, that can't be. But it is. It's a lot of cans. Um, the point is, if you're looking for a job, go to gold, text golden to 77222, get linked to the open positions, or you can go directly to jobs.ball.com and search for golden. That's jobs.ball.com, search for golden, or simply text golden to 77222. And real quick, want to remind you guys about the Light Shade Dispensary. Um, they've got locations. There's 10 across the Denver metro area and Aurora, uh, so... Definitely check them out because you can get 25% off non-sale items with the code DNVR. If you're looking for the sale items, though, they've got all sorts of different options. Um, right now, they, they're focusing on the Escape Artists, which is the highest awarded topical brand in Colorado. And what that means is that like you rub it on you and the CBD gets into you and then it helps. They've got all sorts of different creams and that sort of stuff that have different ratios of CBD. They'll take effect in 10 minutes or less. Benefits last for a few hours. Um, Definitely go and check all that stuff out at Colorado's premier dispensary, Lightshade. Again, use that code DMVR for 25% off every purchase of non-sale items. Okay, Uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk about this Arizona game. Um, and, and honestly, just like what I'm looking for, kind of what's on the line here. Now, obviously you go on the road to Arizona. That's a, that's a tough game. That's a really tough game. And it's not one that you should expect to win. Um, Arizona is one of the best teams in the country. They've got some really good players. And if Colorado is able to win that game, that would be, probably the highlight of this season you know it's tough to imagine unless like it take like a Pac-12 tournament run to really top a win over Arizona on the road um so if they lose honestly again it's to be expected what you want to see honestly like what I consider just a win 
keep it to single digits and not not like you sneak into single single digits at the end but but you you're in the hunt late you're putting some pressure on them with just a few minutes to go um if they do that then honestly the bus are on pace to do good things this season whether that's make a run in the nit or sneak into the ncaa tournament you know that's that's probably the realistic goal is just to keep this kind of close lose by six or seven cut it down to like four points with a couple minutes left and that honestly be a good performance as unfun as that sounds individually I mean honestly with any of them what you're looking for most is just scoring right like somebody who's able to crack this defense it's one of the best defenses in the country I think there's only been like three or four games or something where they've given up um, more than one point per possession which for those of you who don't dig too deep into those stats, that's really, really, really impressive. It's a great defense they've got put together. Again, with these young players, what you're worried about, long not long-term, but over the course of the season, is whether they're going to be able to put up enough points, whether some of these teams are just too big, too physical, too veteran, that, that some of that unrefined scoring just doesn't work. Like you just need to be sharp and get good shots to be able to get through. And and honestly, this is going to be one of those games where you need to play good offense to get points. I, uh, I think that, you know, you expect Jabari to be able to handle it. I think you wonder about just about everybody else. You know, Keyshawn's interesting just because so much of his game relies on the three-point shooting. If he gets hot from three, then sure, you're going to be just fine there. But, you know, you look at Tristan Da Silva. He's coming off a 22-point game where he looked really good. He's got the size. He seems to have figured out kind of just the rhythm of his game. And if he can keep that going into another performance against Arizona, that'd be really exciting. Um, you know, I I don't think I know. I don't know if K.J. Simpson's going to be back. Um, but, you know, Julian Hammond. He's been really good at avoiding turnovers. You know, he scored quite a bit in this last game, didn't score much in the game before that. But but can he just find a role here? Can he be a steady hand off the bench? I think that's one of my big questions. You know, Lawson Lovering going up against these bigs, that's a big question. But again, you just look at this Arizona team and say that that defense is legit. It's it's potentially the best in the Pac twelve. It's causing trouble for just about everybody they play. And, you know, on top of that, they've got Benedict Matherin, who's a guard who, what he's, I think he's a sophomore now. So one of the best guards in the country, well, honestly, potentially one of the best players in the country. He can fill it up. He's scoring 20 points a night consistently, um, sometimes putting up even bigger numbers than that. You got to find a way to contain him. And you've got Eli Parquet there. So you hope that, that he's kind of able to put the clamps on. I'd expect him to kind of follow Benedict around all night. Um, but there's just challenges when you play the number six team in the country. Um, I guess if, if you're looking for reasons to have hope, they actually were off since December 22nd when they played Tennessee, when they lost at Tennessee. Um, there was just COVID pauses and that sort of thing all the way up until last Monday, the 3rd. And they played Washington, beat them very easily. And uh, they've been off, what, it'll be nine days in between those two games now. And before that, there were 
11 ga- days off, so one game in the last 22. Why am I doing math on the podcast again? Don't do that. But the point is, they might be a little bit rusty. They might not be playing quite their best ball, and you might be able to catch them. Who knows? Um, it'd be a really huge win, though. It'd be a really, really huge win if they're able to pull it off. We'll find out soon if they're able to do it. Um, by the way, game is at 9 o'clock tomorrow. It's on FS1. Um it's a big opportunity, honestly. You know, there's some of these games, you know, honestly, kind of like a Tennessee game where they're sitting at number 20 in the country or something like that. You say, ah, that's not it's not quite high enough that you just go in there expecting to lose. Um, but it is high enough that you're probably pretty scared to play them. Um, instead, you know, it's Arizona, number six. This is just a straight-up opportunity. I think that, when the betting lines come out, it's probably looking like a 15-point spread, something like that. Um, and that means if you're able to pull off a win, if you're able to keep it close, you're going to catch some people's attention. And in the same way that you know Colorado's won a bunch of games that were much closer than they should have been, and they kind of turned into bad wins if there's such a thing, this is one that... If you do keep it close, if you do give yourself a chance at the end, if you force Arizona to make some tough shots, you know, then you might be starting to call this a good loss, which could kind of balance out some of those others. Now, if you lose by 15, you lose by even like 10, 12, it's going to be pretty disappointing still. Um, It's a tough opponent. And then uh, again, Arizona State is next up on the schedule on Saturday. That game is... Still kind of up in the air. It hasn't been canceled. I think Arizona State was supposed to play tomorrow, and that game was canceled uh, because they have COVID issues at the moment. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, oh, another note, the the what game is that? The Oregon game is now going to be played in Eugene still on January 25th. So that's... Uh, that's turning into a bit of a long road trip there. We'll see how exactly they handle it. But what it looks like now is that they will play Oregon on Tuesday the 25th, go to Seattle to play Thursday the 27th, and then go to Pullman to play the 30th, which is the Sunday. So that's Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, and that's kind of an extended road trip there. Um, probably leave the Monday after having a game the Saturday before, so then you get back on the 30th um, late at night. It's probably into like the morning of the 31st, and then you have a game after a couple days off on the 3rd against Oregon. So that whole stretch there, there's a lot of games packed together, and they're, I mean, a lot of them on the road. So don't necessarily love the idea of going on a road trip like that, but it's kind of just one of the quirks of the COVID world where you're going to have some tough scheduling in these reschedules like that. Um, I think that's all I've got for you guys today. I will be back tomorrow after the game to talk about what goes down and uh, I'll see you all then.